Hello, my name's Matt White and this is Fodder, the food and drink podcast for Greater Manchester. This week, we're on the subject of gin. Coming up, we'll be in the pub in Saddleworth that has the Guinness World Record for the most amount of gins commercially available. They've got over 600 in the place. Why do we need them? We probably don't, but uh, it's becoming a bit of an obsession now, <laughs> really. We'll also be on a Manchester gin journey. What we're going to be doing today is taking you to five distant destinations where you will have five gins, five cocktails that are made especially for you, and we'll give you a little bit of gin history along the way. And although it seems that Jim may be having his moment, not everyone is keen. It's a nice drink. However, I have stopped drinking it because it has gone down market. People don't know how to enjoy it properly. Bristol, the city where I'm originally from, had something called a gin festival. Oh, he can't believe it, can he? Cannot believe it. A gin festival? Who'd have thought of such a thing? More from that fella, William Hansen, a bit later on, and it's worth a listen, I promise. You'll be staggered by the things he says. But now, let's talk to the creator of Manchester's first ever gin. Aaron Dark is the founder of Zymagorium, a name that I have rehearsed over and over to ensure its correct pronunciation. But Aaron, first up, mate, what does it even mean? Okay, so Zymagorium is a, a merge of two words. It's Zymergy, which is a scientific study of brewing and distilling. Um, and the Orium punk comes from Emporium, um, which obviously is a shot that sells various articles. The idea is that we bring it together to make the Brewing Emporium. Uh, so it's Zymagorium, the Brewing Emporium. Of course. Is, um, yeah, and the, the idea is that we make all sorts of different drinks. We start off as a meadery. Um, back in 2012, actually, I started as Dark Craft Spirits, um, but I quickly changed it to Zymagorium because it fitted us better in 2013. Um, so mead, if no one knows what it is, is a honey-based wine, and it's actually what makes the base to uh, the original Manchester gin that we make. Um, so it's actually honey-based gin rather than a grain or a neutral spirit-based gin. So you were the first, uh, as far as we know, the yes. first people ever yeah. to distill gin commercially <laughs> in Manchester. Commercially. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure. But um, yeah, in 2014, because uh, obviously we start off in Meadery, I was doing distilling back at university. Um, you studied I, distilling at university? No, no, no. no I was... I was I was doing it myself um, in university. Just back at the digs. Yeah, um, basically, um, I, as a lot of people probably have stories of people brewing things in bathtubs, we literally brewed it in the bathroom at university did and, you really? and in a basement and in a conservatory. And how did it taste? It, ta- it tastes really fantastic. I've never actually <laughs> yeah, had. I've that, never yeah. had a failed brew, and that is that is the god's honest truth. I've never had a failed brew. Okay, well we're going to taste um, some of your brews in a minute. Yeah, definitely. Um, so gin's come a long way since them days of you in the student parties, haven't they, mate? I think what's happened is that there's been a, a massive increase in distilling skills, um, which has helped to make drinks more palatable. But where's this come from? Well, I think what it is is that you know a lot of laws have uh, become a bit more relaxed and a lot more people can get what's known as a rectification licence. Which is? Um, which is actually the redistilling of alcohol that's already been made. But it does mean that then you can then uh, refine it better, which you can then add, you know, take more heads off. So you can actually make it a slightly smoother spirit. Um, you can also change the botanicals that go in there as well. Um, the one thing that Zymagorium likes to try and do is to try and create all sorts of different flavors. So you never find one of our gins which is similar to another gin. Um, this one in particular is actually styled on Mexico. Okay. Um, so what we've done is we've got cactus flowers, and that's where the name comes from because the actual cactus flower that's used is called Queen of a Single Night. 
Um, that doesn't taste to me like a normal gin. That that uh, I don't. I struggle to identify it as a gin. Okay. And I mean that with the greatest of respects. Yeah. I just mean it hasn't got that traditional taste yeah so it's more of a citrusy style gin mm -hmm. so what makes a gin a gin is that it has to have juniper yes um juniper is the main component in gin if it does, if it doesn't contain even one berry then you can't actually call it gin someone told me that uh gin is nothing but vodka with botanicals essentially that is that is what gin is okay. um and you can make that vodka from anything um any sort of agricultural product um things like potato sugar um, as long as it's fermented and distilled past 96% ABV, um, and then it's classed as vodka. Queen of the night, I like. Good. Uh, the second one. This one is the actual original Manchester gin. Now, talking about that it can be made from, vodka can be made from any um, fermented drink. This is fermented from mead. It's a honey wine. You know what this smells like? Go on. I know, I know, it's got, I know what's on your lips already. No, you don't. Pilau rice. Yes. Basmati rice. We're actually going to call it AKA basmati rice you gin. You never knew I was going to say that. <laughs> Did you know I was going to say that? Everyone says it. Oh, I thought I was being dead. No. I thought I was being dead clever. Let me taste. So this one is a much more heavier spice gin. Whoa, that's nice. Exactly. It's got a lot of flavour in there. It's a very, very unique. The reason why we started back in 2014 distilling, um, but we never brought out the Manchester gin until 2015, we were looking for something that was completely ah, unique. That's really nice. We, we had to make something that was, you know, nowhere on the market had anything comparable to it. And we believe we have found that in the I've Manchester I've never tasted anything like it. Do you know what's nice about that? I could sit at home, have a night time, I could it. have a rum, I could have a whiskey, but yeah. never would I get out a gin to sip. That I could sip. There you go, that's Aaron. More from him a bit later on when we introduce him to the writer of a recent Mail Online article about gin being a little bit common. Not my words, the words of William Hansen, and you will hear from him a bit later on. Now, though, it's time for a gin journey. If you fancy having a night out in Manchester where you're educated in the way of Mother's Ruin and also you get a bit boozy, then this is for you. It's the brainchild of ex-Manchester barman Leon Dalloway. And it's a tour of some of the best places in Manchester to have a gin. So it goes to places like Hawksmoor, Home Sweet Home, Gorilla. I went along recently, all in the name of journalism and research, and met up with one of their guides and experts, Johnny. OK, hello, and welcome to the Gin Journey Manchester. OK, so before we go on, is there anyone that has absolutely no idea what the gin journey is, what we do, what, what we're going to bring to your life today? Okay, so, <laughs> so, so just you on your own over here, no. So basically what we're going to do is we have five venues. In each venue you will have a cocktail that is made especially entirely for you guys on the gin So journey. this is, uh, for want of a better phrase, okay, a so sophisticated we'll pop crawl. Yeah, yeah that's, I mean, yeah, that's a nice way to put it, I suppose, yeah. A, di a different way to put it, but yeah, I'd say it's pretty much that, yeah. So, uh, who, how many people are you expecting this evening? I think tonight we have 17 people, 17 people. And is that a bit intimidating for you? Because that's 17 people all boozing that you've got to stand up in front of and try and keep their attention. I mean, for some people maybe, but I love it. I love it. I mean, I love to try and make people happy. I love to try and keep people's attention, give them a bit of knowledge. Basically, if they're happy, I'm happy. So that's my job, really. And the gin helps a bit. The, the, gin, the gin pushes it a little bit. So, yeah, it's always good, always good. So they come in and they have a, a drink in every bar. Yeah. Um, and what happens? What's the, the dynamic of it? Do they just sit down and have a drink and read some information on the gin? How do you talk to them? So they'll sit down. Each place, each uh, venue that we have creates a gin cocktail for them. 
So they'll have that cocktail put in front of them. I'll explain what the cocktail is and why the cocktail has been created and, and go from there. They also then have a gin sample. So, for example, in this bar, which we're in Hawksmoor, we have Thomas Dakin gin. So the, the Manchester gin. Yeah, so. the Manchester gin. That's why we start off with that gin as well, because, you know, Thomas Dakin, northern lad. Of course. Um, and I'll show them how to do the tasting and then sort of leave them to go along with that for the next place as we go along. So is it in a similar respects to a wine tasting where you tell them what they should be looking out for? Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the three main things I always say, the juniper, citrus and spice, mm-hmm. tell them about that. Tell them about the, the main botanicals that, and the key botanicals that are in gin. Um, ask them if they know about it already. For those who don't, tell them. For those who do, great. And just go on for that, really. And I bet you get the people that do already know. Are they trying to tell yeah, you yeah. that you... <laughs> I mean, you, we get such a mixture. There are people that have absolutely no idea what spirit is made from, what any, any sort of spirit is made from, ne- never mind gin. And then you have the people that know every single thing about gin that there ever is to know. So I have to sort of balance between the two, figure out who knows what, and then change my chat accordingly. I've had someone on one gin journey who they didn't like gin. They said they didn't like gin. And they came because it was their partner's birthday. Okay. And then by the, end of the t- by the end of the gin journey, they liked gin. So that's job done, really. I'm actually here for my friend's 30th birthday, but it's the second gin journey I've been on. I've been on the one in London, and I enjoyed it so much, I was happy to come back and try the Manchester one out. And what is it? Is it the booze, or is it what you learn as you go um, along? Yeah, just trying different... Well, there's different gins on this one, I think, and seeing the different bars, what you learn. The cocktails are all absolutely delicious, and it's a really good atmosphere. There's, like, laughs along the way, prizes, yeah. It's, it's really good, enjoyable night. Great. Um, how do you manage to keep their attention because I'm guessing when they first arrive here which is going to be any minute now they'll all be quite attentive first drink by the fifth they've got five cocktails down (laughs) attention must start to wave yeah it does I think what what I tend to do then is if it's a big group I can then go and start mingling between smaller groups rather than trying to hold the whole room so I do give them obviously a bit of chat about the actual gym we're talking about but I can see sometimes if people are within their smaller groups I'll go over to that smaller group talk to them directly whilst the others are having a drink and then move between them so then it becomes a little bit more informal as well rather than just I'm holding the room you have to listen to me and that's all and I guess as a, as a guide that you're there for you must have some kind of key facts key stories that are stored and ready to go yeah of course of course I mean what I, what I try to do is link the stories with some prizes some gym prizes if to see you know who knows anything about gin or okay. the history of gin are you looking forward to tonight's yeah yeah really looking forward to it I mean I, th- I think it's pretty hard not to look forward to having a night where you're making a lot of people happy talking about gin drinking gin what else can you want really and you've told me that of the group that are out tonight there's a table of nine women at, at 11 actually 11, 11 yeah yeah which I you know it's a tough one it's a really tough job sometimes <laughs> I do think to myself what have I done to deserve this but <laughs> no it's great I mean like I said it's, it's good to girls guys men women either he's gonna regret that phrase isn't he sorry Jono girls guys men women either I should have edited it out, really, if I had a a decent bone in my body, but I haven't. Sorry, Jono. For more information on the Gin Journey, go to ginjourney.com. So that's if you fancy a night out to have five different gins. But what if your appetite is insatiable? Well, what if I was to tell you there's a place you can go where you can have hundreds of different gins? So many, in fact, that they are the Guinness World Record holders for having the most amount of gins commercially available. Well... I do know of such a place, and I've been. My name's Phil Whiteman. 
I'm the owner of the Old Bell Inn in Delft, Saddleworth. Uh, we are a restaurant, bar and hotel. We're standing now, Phil, at what used to be the reception here, aren't we? That's correct, yes. Yeah. And, and as I look in front of me, there is, uh, from floor to ceiling, glass shelves all the way around, absolutely chock-a-block rammed full of bottles of gin. That's correct, yes. <laughs> How many were talking? How many are here? We're approaching 650 now, 650 different gins. 650 different gins, yes. all available to buy? All available to buy, yes. Some very reasonably priced, some a little bit on the pricey side, but uh, some are very rare as well. I've got to ask you, Phil, why do you need 650 gins? Why do we need them? We probably don't, but uh, it's become a, a bit of an obsession now, <laughs> really. Um, it started probably three years ago uh, I was on a plane going to see my girlfriend who lived in Rotterdam at the time and I was looking at in flight magazine reading about uh, a distillers in Mahon where they have a, a tasting room whitewashed walls just gin all the way around the walls on shelves I thought wow that's supposed to be an experience that thought nothing of it came back to my place and realised we'd got probably about four gins on our, on our <laughs> which at the time, you know, four years ago was probably more unacceptable. So we, we, we started, myself and Charlotte, my bar manager, started having a look round and getting more gins involved and testing them with the, with the regulars and we got a good response. Um, and then one of the girls managed to Google and found out there was such a thing as a world record for gins. And we all looked at ourselves and thought, ooh, could we? Shall we? And what, and what was the world record? How many? The world record was 161 different gins. Okay. Uh, I think we'd probably built our collection up to about 20 at the time. So still a way to go? Yeah. But we thought, yeah, we, let's see if we can do this. So we started sourcing them and different suppliers and stuff. And I I hid them in my back bedroom, which sounds strange. <laughs> but I thought, if we're, going to, if we're going to break this world record, we'll, we'll do it in one big swoop. So anyway, we got, we got to, the, to the 161, and then we were speaking with the staff, and we thought, well, if, if we're going to attempt the world record and break it, let's absolutely blow everybody else out of the water. Yeah. So we did, and we kept ourselves under the radar for quite a while, and we got ourselves up to 404. Uh, and this is where Charlotte came in. She had a lot of work to do with involved in that. So you're, you're, you're the bar manager, Charlotte? I am, yeah. So when Phil says a lot of work, I mean, he's not over-exaggerating there, is he? No, it was a lot of research, a lot of taking pictures, putting the pictures online. Why taking pictures? All the bottles had to be pictured in situ, so every single one. To, to qualify for your record? Yeah, okay. where they stand, finding out who had what gins, where we could get them from. So we spent a lot of time working with distillers, distributors, everybody. All tonics as well, but it was hard work. And when you say uh, researching, Charlotte, does that involve tasting as well? It does a little bit, yeah. <laughs> and how many, <laughs> between the pair of you, how many of these gins have you sampled? I think um, we can honestly say we've, we've sampled them all. Yeah. 
Not in huge quantities, but of course we, not. Know, no, but just a little taste, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, just, any just for work, of course, yeah. not of for course, play. yeah, purely for <laughs> professional purposes. Exactly. So anyone can come in; they're all for sale. Emmy, um, you mentioned briefly earlier that there's some uh, some cheap, some average, but some mm. expensive. And when mm. we're talking expensive, how much? Mm. Well, we have a, an antigen from from Cambridge Distillers at sixty five pound a shot. Yeah. Um, well, what makes that so expensive? Why is it that much? Because it cost me a lot to buy it. <laughs> <laughs> Exclusive. Uh, yeah, they only, made 99, they only had 99 bottles done. Uh, we heard about it and we just say, sadly, we wanted to have one. So if people want it, they have to pay for it. And they do because it's... Something it's different, bit, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And I imagine there's people coming in deliberately to try different gins and experiment. Yeah. And I notice around there there's little flags from different countries that they come from, but also a section that says vintage Charlotte. What's that? Yeah. They're, so they're not in existence anymore. The distilleries are shut. So the vintage bottles, the booths is a 1970s vintage. So you can't buy it anymore, or if you can, it's extortionate to buy. So it's just quite special that we've got it, really. <laughs> We're looking around here. I mean, I, I really wouldn't know where to start. What What are the, some of the more popular ones? They just vary, because we normally ask people if they like a sweet one, citrusy, dry, spicy, and from there we can narrow it down and send them in the right direction. That was the old Bellin in Delft. Well worth a visit. Uh, now, I've been looking forward to hearing this. There's a guy based in Manchester. He goes by the name of William Hansen. He is an etiquette expert. He also writes for the Mail Online. Now, he recently wrote an article, which you can still find. It's there. Um, and he basically just has a pop at gin, uh, specifically people that drink gin as well. So I invited him along to the Fodder podcast to hear what he has to say and to introduce him to Aaron Dark from Manchester-based Zymagorium Gin. Here is what happened. I like a gin and tonic. Mm -hmm. I've always liked a gin and tonic, although, well, I say I've always liked it, in so long as I have, have been drinking, which is actually relatively, sh you know, a short space of time. Uh, I started drinking about two years ago, my first drink being creme de menthe. I remember. Um, frappe over ice and then I, I got on to a gin and tonic and it's a nice drink however I have stopped drinking it more or less I occasionally have it because it has gone down market mm. gin as a as a drink but the gin and tonic itself you are getting people that are, it is used as the go-to drink to get drunk people don't know how to enjoy it properly it is becoming far too complicated. Bristol, the city where I'm originally from, had something called a gin festival. Um, whereas just get get the Gordons, get the Bombay, plop it in a glass, none of that measure, nonsense, bit of tonic, lime or lemon, drink. See, it's, it's such a simple, unfussy drink. And we have fussed it up far too much. Okay. Now the uh, the the vibe I got from the article that I read online was not that we'd fussed it up too much. It was almost like you were saying it would become a bit common. A well, bit, it has. A yes. bit uncouth. Because we have fussed it up, it's got a bit common. No longer does it have the uh, allusions to a colonial Britain. You know, qu the the quinine that is in tonic was, of course, thought, although it has been proved not to. Uh, to stave off malaria and mosquitoes, and it was it was drunk uh, during the empire, and and now it is just sort of 
um, drunk from plastic glasses on a Saturday night in downmarket nightclubs in downmarket provincial cities. People will then post it on Instagram, uh, post things on Sunday, forgive me, Father, for I have ginned, and they'll drink it from... That's a good line! No, it's not. It's pathetic. It's the glorification of alcohol and, and, oh, look at me, give me social kudos because I've got a little bit drunk. You haven't done anything original or normal. Um, frankly, you should be taken out and shot. You're an angry man, William, aren't you? I'm, I'm irate. <laughs> it would be ill-mannered to be angry. What should we be drinking? Well, you see now gin and dubonnet is very nice. A dubonnet? Yes, uh, a favourite of, of the royal household, particularly the Queen Mother, the late Queen Mother, but now also of Her Majesty the Queen. That is my I've had a very bad day drink and always has been. Um, Jägerbomb? A what? Jägerbomb? No. Aftershock? No, you see, now Jäger... What? Aftershock? I thought it was a radio station. Someone who we were speaking to earlier, let me bring you back in on this, Aaron. Uh, you are now uh, in the business of gin. What, what are you getting from this? What do you think about what William is saying? Well, to be honest, I, I believe that we're now having more people that are fussy about what gins they drink. So it's not just going out and getting the cheapest gin you can find. Mm. And like I said, I think what it is, it's not so much a um, that particular gin's gone down market. I think what it is is that the actual people in the world are looking for more and they're looking to diversify their interests as well. I mean, it's not just gin that people Twitter about. It's not just gin that people talk about. If you look at the craft beer world, I, I think it's a very um, one-pointed view on, you know, a very focused view on gin. Um, whereas if you look at probably beer, beer has more Twitters, uh, Twit feeds than um, gin does. But it's people in lieu of personality latching on to gin, yeah. which, yeah, is great. I like a gin and tonic. I'm, I've got nothing against it. But do I now, when I go out to restaurants and to the odd bar... Do I order one? No, because I don't want to be seen in public drinking one. Can, can I just pick you up on a, a sentence you said there? Hmm. It's people in lieu of personality that are latching on to gin. Yes. That's a bold statement, William, isn't it? Well, it is, but it's it's correct. I like a gin. Yeah, but you have a personality, so that's fine. Well, I we thank all you do. for that. <laughs> but there are a lot of people on social media and, and off social media who think that by tweeting about gin or how drunk they got or posting an Instagram photograph of their gin and tonic in a plastic vessel is going to somehow give them social capital. OK, so let's but say then... I uh, I paid for you two to go for a nice romantic meal now, the pair of you. You seem to be getting on very well. Yep. You went out for dinner, uh, you get your drinks order. William, Aaron's ordered a gin and tonic before you've so much as taken your coat off. Is I that the, ruined the, the evening? Over. Yeah, I... I... <laughs> I would still continue with the date out of politeness. But you'd think less of him. Yes. The main reason being... Because it's because it's in public. And you shouldn't drink gin in public. Not anymore, no, because it's it's gone down market. Which is a crazy statement. I don't you... think it's crazy. Well, I think when it comes to like things like, you know, gin and drinking in public, at the end of the day, um, I think it's more acceptable to drink gin in public it's definitely become much more, you know, seemly product to have out in public. Um, even up to six years ago, hardly anyone had anything like a G&T. So, like you said... you Now, said, now I'm going to have to pull you up on what you've just called it. Oh, the G&T, where, where are you originally from, may I ask? From Northern Moor. Right, OK, good. That, no, that, no, that's fine. I've got no problems with that. Only call it a G&T if you are in one of the home counties, mainly Surrey. 
Why, why is that, is that? William? Why it's, is that? It's just, I mean, the G&T, it's a little bit of a twee-naff name, and twee and naff belongs in those home counties. It's the sort of people that wear white dinner jackets to black tie events. Have I only got a white dinner jacket? No, I don't, actually. No, you say no, I But I, I do have you. a kilt that I wear. A um, kilt? Yeah. Which part of Scotland is Northern Moor in? <laughs> it's not, but my mother's side of the family from Although the you're Hebrides. wearing tartan today. Well, it's tartan... Ish, isn't it? It's a check yeah. shirt, William. It's a check shirt. It's a, check yeah. shirt. a lumberjack shirt. <laughs> yeah, I've, got no, I've got no problem with kilts. Um, okay, so uh, Aaron, let's wrap this up. Um, if you have a message that you want to give to William or something that you'd like to get through to him after this meeting and perhaps you can help him go on and live a yeah. fuller life embracing the gin, what would you say to him? I think you're saying about how gin's drank and how fussy it's become. But then sometimes the height of godliness is what's been said in the past is detail to things how people do it when you go to a cocktail bar you do not ask them to just simply pour drinks over you want them to make something that looks beautiful and the hand movements are magic that is the idea of making a classy drink so to make it more fussy is to actually make it more classy yeah william to well, make it more fussy is to make it more classy well it depends on your definition of class Ooh. Oh, man. Let's just say that again. Ooh. Aaron's last word on the matter. It just sounds like a little part of him died. Ooh. Well, there you go, then. That's it for the first episode of Fodder. I'll see you for episode two in a couple of weeks, where we'll be off to Mosey, the Museum of Science and Industry, to see their exhibition on cravings, where I'll be joined by the wonderful Mary Ellen McTague. So, until then, thanks for listening.